a prayer and a question. That's how I'd like to navigate our time together. But first, what a week. The most contentious election, certainly of my lifetime, is still being contended. At least as we're recording now on a Thursday morning, maybe by the time you see this over the weekend or early next week, everything will be settled. Everything will be clear. But even if a decision is confirmed, is anything settled? Is anything clear? A candidate may win an election, but a country remains divided against itself. A person may take an office, but a people are still struggling to find civility. News cycles might shift gears into some other storyline, but so often for too many, the reality is still hard, harsh, and overwhelming. So, a prayer and a question. Both are embedded in a story, maybe one of the most famous stories of all time. A friend or two may help me share the story as it unfolds, then we'll get to the prayer and the question. It's the story of Jonah. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid his fare, got on board with them to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and a great storm came upon them so that the ship nearly broke up. The mariners were afraid and each cried to their God. They took the cargo that was in the ship and they threw it into the sea to lighten the load for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone into the hold of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God might spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, let us cast lots to see on whose account this calamity has come upon us. And they cast lots. And the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said to him, tell us why you've brought this calamity upon us. What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? Of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the God of heaven who made the sea, and the dry land, and they were even more afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you've done? For they knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. They said to him, what shall we do to you so the storm might calm down for us? For the storm was growing more and more tempestuous. And Jonah said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the storm will calm down for you. It is on my account this calamity has come upon you. Nevertheless, they rowed hard to get to land, but the sea became more and more stormy against them. Then they prayed, O Lord, we pray, do not make us perish on account of his life. Do not make us guilty of innocent life. For you, O Lord, it has pleased you to do this. So they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased 
from its raging, and they were even more afraid. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a fish to swallow Jonah up, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And he prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows came over me. I said, you've driven me out of your sight. How shall I look again on your holy temple? The waters came over me. The deep passed around me. The weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars covered over me forever. Yet you, O Lord, lifted up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who seek after idols forsake their true loyalty. With a voice of thanksgiving, I will offer sacrifice. I will pay the vows that I've made. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out onto dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across, and Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people believed God. And they proclaimed a fast. Everyone, both great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He made a proclamation in Nineveh. According to the decree of the king and all his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd nor flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed nor drink any water. All human beings and animals shall cover themselves in sackcloth. They shall cry mightily to God. They shall turn from their wicked ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? The God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And when God saw what the people did, how they turned from their wicked ways, God changed his mind about the calamity he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And this displeased Jonah very much, and he became angry. He prayed, Oh Lord, is not this what I told you when I was in my own country? That's why I went to Tarshish from the beginning. I knew you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And God said, is it right for you to be angry? 
And Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself, and he sat in its shade waiting to see what would become of the city. And the Lord appointed a bush to grow and come up over Jonah, and it provided shade, saving him from his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy with the bush. And at dawn, the Lord appointed a worm to attack the bush, and it withered. So when the sun rose, the Lord provided a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah, and he became faint, and he asked that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. And God said, you're concerned about a bush for which you did not labor and you did not grow. It sprang up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city with 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's the book of Jonah. It's the story of the massive fish who eats the renegade prophet. Yet the fish is just an in the, in incidental detail in an otherwise stunning story of a remarkably gracious God. So a prayer I want to invite you to pray and a question God asks I think we should consider. Uh, the prayer Jonah prays that's in chapter 2 starts in verse 2. Out of the belly of the fish, Jonah begins to pray. I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah, in the belly of a fish, Jonah offers a prayer born out of his circumstances but is not confined by his circumstances. Jonah universalizes his prayer. It's not just about the belly of a fish. He doesn't pray, I cried out to you from the belly of a fish. He prays, I cried out to you from Sheol. He universalizes his experience, inviting all of us who know distress, any of us who know what it's like for the waves and billows to overwhelm, to be covered in the deep, offers a prayer made now for each of us whose hearts break and sadness exists and pain is real. We like to make this story the story about a big fish who eats a little man. All the while, it's the story of a big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver so that we might be sent. There's this pattern to the prayer. Jonah in the belly of the fish prays this prayer out of distress and he answered me, and you heard my voice, and the prayer ends. Deliverance belongs to the Lord, and Jonah gets spewed out onto the land. And then the word of the Lord came a second time, and Jonah gets up and goes to Nineveh. We pray our big prayers out of our distress to the big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver us so as to send us. The divided states of America... We pray to the big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver us, to send us. A contentious election with violence in the background. We pray to the big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver us, to send us. 
With a world pandemic still swirling and cases still rising and hospitals now filling and people anxious and worried, we pray to the big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver us so as to send us. All that swirling in our moment, all that's happening right now is not enough to prevent you from praying to the big God who listens to your unique life in order to deliver so as to send. None of it's enough to keep you from loving your neighbor. The electoral college does not determine your capacity to be generous with the one closest to you. The current state of affairs is not permission for you not to offer kindness to the one next to you. Whoever takes office, win or lose, does not keep you from pursuing God's better purposes for the world. I came across an article with a line I appreciated, wondering if the church could become a unifying force around an alternative mission, namely the kingdom of God, and the culture might just come running. What if we offered ourselves in prayer to the big God who listens to our unique lives in order to deliver us so as to send us. Jonah had to get up. Jonah had to go to Nineveh. That's the prayer. Now the question. The book of Jonah ends so abruptly. Uh, You're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned with Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Jonah wanted revenge. Jonah was angry. The, the, The Ninevites were awful. The Ninevites were terrible people. They were violent and vile. They they were wreaking havoc on Jonah and Jonah's people. Uh, One person reflecting on this story You can visit the British Museum today and see spectacular wall reliefs depicting Assyrian, in other words, Ninevite, sieges. The famous Siege of Lachish shows multiple images of Jonah's people being impaled and stacks of Jonah's people's heads that were counted by Assyrian scribes, presumably for a paperhead policy with the soldiers. Archaeologists discovered this relief in Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh. The Ninevites were awful. They were awful to Jonah's friends and Jonah's places, and Jonah wanted revenge. I've always assumed Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was lazy or because he was afraid. He just liked his comfortable life and didn't want to go out on God's mission, or he was afraid. He had reason to be afraid. He didn't want to get impaled by one of their spears or beheaded by one of their swords. But by Jonah's own admission, that's not the reason he doesn't go. Jonah prays. Isn't this what I said from the beginning? I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, ready to, re- to relieve from your punishing. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want them to experience God's grace. He didn't want them to hear the redeeming work of God for their lives. He wanted revenge. But God's heart beats with compassion. God's heart beats with mercy. God's heart beats with love. 
What would it be like if our hearts beat with compassion, if our hearts beat with mercy, if our hearts beats beat with love? Because that's the question. That's the question that ends us in the book of Jonah. Jonah wanted revenge. What do you want? Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? There's a whole lot swirling right now. Anxiety's rising and fear hovering and concern. And so much of it so quickly gives way to bitterness and anger and rage. And we want what Jonah wanted. We want revenge. We want what they've got coming. We want what they've been giving. God's heart beats with compassion. God's heart beats with mercy. God's heart beats with love. Will yours? I want to share with you a story. I'm sure you've heard it. That's so good. It's worth hearing again. It's the story of Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch woman who was placed in a concentration camp for her crime of compassion uh, during, in Nazi Germany during World War II. She was taken to a concentration camp with her sister Betsy. Uh, I'm reading from a part of her story by one of her biographers. Corey told people her story of God's forgiveness of sin and of the need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing she ever had to do. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand. And as I did, 
An incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Friends, we live in an intense moment. Passions swirl and anger rises. And we want what Jonah wanted. We like revenge. It's not the gospel. It's not God's heart. God's heart beats with compassion. God's heart beats with mercy. God's heart beats with love. And the best expression of all of this has always been Jesus Christ. Compassion, mercy, love. That's God's heartbeat. What's yours? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.